Essays into the Lively Lexicon, Normal, by Steve Bostrom. Who, 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 called the wise old owl, is normal. Maybe the owl could ask a carpenter. Our word normal means standing at a right angle. It's from a Latin word, normalis, made according to a carpenter square from norma, rule, or pattern. And who sets the pattern? Susan Cain, author of the 2012 book, Quiet, the Power of Introverts in a World that Can't Stop Talking, marshals evidence that our culture, our schools, our churches, our corporate environment has bought into the pattern of the extrovert myth. Celebrating the superiority of extroversion has been so well established that among personality disorders, the World Health Organization, WHO, and the American Psychiatric Association include aspects of introversion. Although these organizations are buttressed by cheerleaders like Tony Robbins, Harvard Business School, Toastmasters, and the megachurch, whole other cultures wonder at who we are. Professionals from Asia take classes to understand the extroverts of North America. Reading quiet took my breath away. When I put the book down, I was left with questions like these. How do we get outside of the simmering soup of our culture so that we don't simply conform to the pattern of our culture? What if the ladders of our experience are warped? How do we gain a true perspective? Studying history is one way to look through the eyes of others. Susan Cain notes that introverts used to fare better in the U.S. during an era that favored a culture of character. A quiet leader like Abraham Lincoln could be honored as a man who, as Emerson said, did not offend by superiority. But history has its limitations. So do the arts and so does science. Percival Lowell, 1855 to 1916, established the Lowell Observatory in Flagstaff, Arizona. As he studied the planet Mars, he saw canals, perhaps a sign of intelligent life. Later astronomers showed that there were no canals on Mars. What were the canals that Lowell saw? Some hypothesized that they were the blood vessels from Lowell's own eyes reflected in the telescope. It's good to recognize our limitations. And it's good to be grateful that even in this broken world it is possible to draw a straight line with a crooked stick. But what would it be like to be normal with a capital N? the norm, to be the carpenter, to be the sinless son of God, God himself in this world, the first person since our first parents to stand at a right angle in this world. We can answer some of those questions by reading scripture, seeing what Jesus did and listening to what he said. The one who had no speech impediment, who knew what he said and meant exactly what he said, the word made flesh, 
chose the first word of his first sermon, a command. Repent, metanoia, for the kingdom of heaven is near, Matthew 4.17. Meta can mean after like metamorphic rock, a rock that has been transformed by heat or pressure so that its form, morph, is afterwards meta-changed. It can imply beyond and outside of, like metaphysics being beyond or outside the limits of physics. Noia is mind, or how we think about the world. So metanoia is a change of mind, a reorientation, a fundamental transformation. It is not just mental ascent. Metanoia is a change of behavior as well. It's like an extrovert becoming an introvert permanently. So metanoia, the word Jesus chooses to inaugurate his public ministry, is a walking on water kind of command. We might be tempted to say, thanks Jesus for asking us to do the impossible. How do we get outside of our culture, outside of our skin, outside our minds, and look at life as God does? We could give up like an introvert in an extrovert world. But when we read the rest of Scripture, for example, Acts 5.31 or Acts 11.18 or 2 Timothy 2.25 or 2 Peter 3.9, we find that metanoia is also a gift, a costly gift that God has freely given all kinds of people. How could something as life-altering and liberating as this metanoia that reconnects us with God and our neighbor be a gift? It's counterintuitive. Nevertheless, orphans become sons and daughters. The self-righteous become humble. Those who live to please themselves now live to please God. Those who were bitter forgive. Those who were disconsolate have hope. Metanoia, grace and glory. Sucking out some of the marrow nourishment from the bone words with you, I am Steve Bostrom. P.S. During a report I gave to the leadership of our church in 1999, I quoted Luther. Some at that meeting missed my reference to Luther and thought I was talking about myself. Does this sound like you too? Listen to Luther about repentance. It is exceedingly difficult to get into an unnatural habit of thinking in which we clearly separate faith and the works of love. For even though we Christians are now in faith, the heart is always ready to boast of itself to God and say, After all, I've preached so long, lived so well, done so much, surely he will take this into account. We even want to haggle with God and impress him with our life, but it cannot be done. With men, you may boast, I've done the best toward everyone, and if anything is lacking, I will still try to make it right. But when you come before God, leave all that boasting at home. Remember to appeal not to justice, but to grace. However, let anyone try this. He will see and experience how exceedingly hard and bitter a thing it is. 
How can anyone who all his life has been mired in proving his own righteousness by his own efforts pull himself out of that way of life and with all his heart rise up in the one mediator? I myself have been preaching and cultivating this through reading and writing for almost 20 years. Still, I feel the old clinging dirt of wanting to deal so with God that I may contribute something so that he will have to give me his grace in exchange for my holiness. Still, I cannot get it into my head that I must surrender myself to God's sheer grace. Yet I know that is what I must do.